Galatians 4, 8 through 20, says, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now you know God, or should I say, now God knows you. Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, You did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me, so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's alright. But let them do it all the time. Not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So I wish you were right, I were with you right now, so I could change my tone. But in this distance, I don't know how else to help you. On Elijah's birthday, we went to Shed Aquarium, I think I mentioned that last week. That place is expensive. It's a lot of money. But that boy loved it. He loved it. He loved seeing everything. That you got the, got the penguins, which he just was going, you know, how could you not like a penguin, right? The penguins, he had the sea otters and the seals, and it just all just crazy amount of things for him to see, for a four-year-old boy to run around and do. It was just, it was a blast. It was a blast. I was a little sad, though, that day there were any dolphins. I don't know where the dolphins were. I hope that is not bad news for the dolphins, but the dolphins were were not there. Um, But in their tank were um, beluga whales, and uh, I'm assuming we're, we're not, we're not, we're not working here, Jason? Oh, there we go. We're beluga whales. Those things are cute. And they're expressive and they're fun. And uh, I just, I had a great time seeing them and, and Elijah was chasing them and, and they were kind of swimming around and he would chase and it was just fun. 
You know, not everybody appreciates um, the fact that beluga whales or any whales or any creatures are in aquariums, though, right? You guys all know this. I was reading the story about how, um, you know, there were some animal activists, animal rights activists. They managed, there was, a, there was an aquarium on the, in California somewhere, or Seattle, or somewhere. Anyways, right on the water. And these guys managed to release a whale into the ocean. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they used, like, trucks or, like, I, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know like, this, this crazy caper to get this whale free. But somehow, they got a whale from in the aquarium to the ocean. Here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. So you would think this whale is in now in the Pacific Ocean, has free reign to roam and do whatever he wants. I mean, that's awesome, right? To go from a tank to the Pacific is huge. And they said that this whale started off doing just that. He was zipping this way and that way. He was going up and down the coast, and he was just living it up. So though after a while, you know what that whale did? He came home. He wanted to go back to the aquarium. He did not realize the freedom that he had. He, he didn't realize that the, 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 the possibilities were endless. He didn't realize that, well, he didn't realize what it was like to be free. And even though he had had a taste of it, he wanted to come home to go back to living in a tank. Paul is basically saying, Church of Galatia, you are like a whale that has been set free, only to come crawling back and asked to be let back in to your prison cell. That was the choice that faced the children of Israel under Moses. You guys, you guys remember the story of the Exodus, the story of Joshua? We, a couple years ago, we preached the entire book, book of Joshua. I mean, it's the story of, of God and Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt, into freedom, and ultimately into the promised land, right? We've talked about this before, and, and Paul uses this imagery throughout the entire book of Galatians, this idea that God is freeing people from bondage. Just like he freed the people from the exodus into the promised land, and he was now freeing all Christians from the way and the rule of the law to grace, freedom in Jesus, not being bogged down by rules and traditions and laws and worrying about, am I doing this right or wrong? Paul's like, no. You're free, indeed, in Jesus. 
And then he says, you know, and we've talked about this before, the Israelites, after they were freed, they, they several, many, many, many times over the, their entire journey to the promised land, they said something, right? They said, well, we were better off as slaves than following this crazy dream. It says it in Exodus 14.11 through 12, Exodus 16.3, Exodus 17.3, Numbers 14.1 through 4. I mean, it is just over and over and over again, the people, the nation of Israel says, man, I wish that we were back under the rule of, 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 of Egypt and we could just be slaves again. And Paul's like, that was ridiculous then. But Galatia, you church, you're doing the exact same thing. By going back to all the rules and the customs and the, the traditions and the feasts and the festivals and, and, and circumcision and, and, and honor, you know, just all that. You're, you're, going, you're like willingly going back to bondage. You're asking to be let back into Egypt. Sometimes they actually plotted, the people of, of, of Israel, they plotted to choose a different leader and to go back. Like the whale returning to captivity. This picture of the wilderness wanderings lies behind Paul's impassioned appeal in this passage. The Galatian Christians have come out of Egypt, out of idolatry, of worshiping false gods. They have been set free. They have been redeemed by the personal action of the one true God in His Son and in His Spirit. And now it seems that they have had a look at the wide, worrying world of freedom and they don't like what they see. And they are determined to return once more to the world where life seems safer, more regulated, where they get to choose who they are. They know what they're doing. In other words, they get to go back to a life of slavery. And Paul is like, that is ludicrous. They are, Paul declares, choosing to go back where they were before. Back to the old pagan gods they had worshipped until the time when they were set free by the living God. There's a couple phrases for what Paul is referring to here. Yesterday morning, Elijah was using his version of one of them. Alright? Elijah kept looking at me and going, Are you joking me? No. Are, are you joking me? Except for Elijah's got that husky, if you've not talked to Elijah recently, he's got this husky, he's, he's, are you joking me? He sounds like Kevin from The Office, if you've ever watched The Office. That's what he keeps saying. The one that is most often used in our house by Heather and I, and now because Heather and I use it so much, my kids use it now, is the phrase, Oh, for the love of Pete. All right, we say, oh, for the love of Pete, probably 50 times a day. For the love of Pete. For the love of Pete, right? When you don't live in a house where you cuss, you know, that's, that's kind of what you get, right? For the love of Pete. You know, 
when you say either one of those two phrases correctly, are you joking me or are you kidding me or for the love of Pete? You know what the intent of those phrases are, right? The, the intent is quit being a dummy. Quit being a moron. Quit being an idiot. When someone defies common sense and pulls a stunt that epitomizes stupidity, Remember like the story I told a few weeks ago where my friend Mike got hit in the head with a shovel, right, by the high school kid that was like not paying any attention? For the love of Pete! Ryan? Quit being a dummy. Quit being a moron. Pay attention to what you're doing. For me, I usually use the term, the phrase, for the love of Pete. Because I have done something really stupid. I've done something really boneheaded. And I just say, oh, for the love of Pete, right? You guys know what that is like, right? You, you guys know what those things are for your life. You guys have, may have different phrases, maybe some that are appropriate for church, maybe some that aren't, right? For the love of Pete. Are you joking? Are you joking me? Paul could have titled his letter to the church in Galatia, Oh, for the love of Pete. Paul spends most of his letter face-palming himself, and it's no different here. This morning, I'd like to provide two examples of Paul's for the love of Pete experiences. Let's take a look in our passage. First, in chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, Paul is amazed that they have chosen law over grace. His bewilderment is seen in verse 11. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. And then in verses 12 through 20, Paul is amazed that they have chosen the Judaizers over him. That bewilderment is seen in verse 20. I wish you were with, I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Can you hear, Paul? Are you joking? For the love of Pete, guys. The Galatian church came to Jesus Christ, and then, thanks to the false teachers, they began to drift back to their former paganism. It made absolutely no sense to the rational mind. They had gone from the aquarium to the beaches of Maui, and then returned to the aquarium again. So today, this morning, two for, it, two for the love of Pete instances in Galatians 4, 8-20. The first for the love of Pete instance is that the Galatians were trusting the law over grace. Look at verse 8 and 9. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now you know God, or should I say now? Wow. God, was he wanted me to know that. Or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Before the Galatians worshipped the true God, they worshipped false gods. Before they attained freedom, they were held in bondage. 
God has created people to be worshipers. All humans, from the beginning of time, they have found a God. Something that brings them meaning or hope and a reason for living. These gods come in many shapes and sizes. From false religions, to the God of money, from the God of self, to the worship of celebrities. None of these, none of them, are substitutes for the one true God. None of them. And while promising all that the heart desires, they fail to deliver and leave us in bondage. They leave us in slavery with feelings of guilt, with feelings of despair, with with feelings of futility. As Paul said in verse 8, false gods are no gods that only succeed in making us their slaves. This is where the Galatians all, and all of us were before Jesus. But now, Paul says in verse 9, you have come to know God. From your misery you were given delight. From your hopelessness you were given promise. From your darkness you were given light. From slavery to an heir. From slavery to an heir of a king. From emptiness to relationship. It was through the true God opening your eyes to Him and granting you the faith to enter a personal relationship with Him solely on grace. Based on the work of Jesus, God coming to know you and He Himself taking the initiative to forgive all your sins and to adopt you into His eternal family. And having experienced all this, Paul says, verse 9, How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? For the love of Pete, church. Look at verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. From the Sabbath to the new moon festivals to the Passover, these were all the Jewish times of remembering the Old Covenant. They received the freedom of grace and turned back to following the law as a means of, to obtain favor with God. We discussed their obsession with circumcision before. Paul now covers their obsession with Jewish religious days. You're following this festival and that festival, and you're remembering this day and that day, and you, you're trying to pile it all on. And those things don't save you, Paul says. Paul is lumping all of those things in with paganism and Judaism, and, 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 and that they're mixing them together because any system that does not lead to Jesus Christ is not from the Father in heaven. So here's the point that we have been hammering week after week. The moment you add anything to grace, even God's biblical commandments from the Old Covenant, grace ceases to be grace and a false gospel is introduced that when followed always leads to false gods. No wonder Paul says in verse 11, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Galatia For the love of Pete, stop doing this. It sounds so foolish. 
So why do people then, as they do now, keep insisting whether they include or exclude Jesus Christ in the equation that we must perform works in order to be accepted by God? Why? Why do we keep doing it? Why turn from a liberating, joyful, and confident system of grace to an enslaving, dreary, and uncertain system of works? Does anybody know why? Why do we do it? Why do we keep going back? Why do we keep going back to the old ways, to the, to the drudgery, to the slavery? Why do we keep going back? It's because of pride. We go back because of pride. We go back because we want to be able to say, no, I know that I am a good Christian because I have done this, I have done this, I have done this, I have done this, and this is what God wants from me, and so therefore I can pop my collar and I can say, I am doing awesome with God. That's why we do it. We want to be able to prop ourselves up. And say, look, I'm being such a good Christian. I'm number one. I get a gold star. But that's not what Jesus asks. What does Jesus ask us to do, church? Follow me. Do what I ask. Well, no, this is America. We don't... We want to do things on our own. We don't, we don't like being told what to do. We want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be, we want to have a 400 batting average. We want to be able to do things and show how awesome we are because that's all right. And Jesus is like, no. I love it when you do things for me, because of me, because of your love for me and your love for other people. But there is one way. There is one way to eternity with me. And that is you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow my lead. That makes it hard to check things off of a checklist, right? Because when we are just following where Jesus leads us to go, we can't say how good we're doing. We can't measure how awesome we are. Pride. That's what brings us back to slavery over and over and over again. For the love of Pete's number two, believing false teachers. In verse 12, Paul changes his tone. Suddenly he gets personal and affectionate, and he comes not as a theologian, but as a friend, not through stern rebuke, but through gentle appeal. John MacArthur said, these words are the strongest words of personal affection that Paul uses in any of his letters, the ones that we are about to read. So listen. Dear brothers and sisters, 
I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. What has Paul become? Consider Paul's life before Christ. If anyone used the law as a means to obtain God's favor, few would have surpassed Paul. But he did away with all of those self-righteous and religious merit things, and he exchanged them in entirety for the righteousness that God provides through faith in Jesus. In a sense, he became, as he says in verse 12, what the Galatians were, were, were then trying to avoid. He was trying to be what the Galatians were before they had turned away and started following false teachers. He acknowledged his sinfulness and cast himself entirely into the arms of Jesus Christ. And like these pagan Gentiles, though they had nothing, did not cling while impressive to his lineage or his knowledge or his religious actions. So here is Paul's frustration. Ironically, these Gentiles were trying to become whom Paul was as Paul was trying to become more like who they were. They are trying to exchange what Paul is trying to, receive, to, to change his life to be, to go after the things of Paul's old life. And Paul's like, for the love of Pete, stop it. Stop it. As a Jew, he had it all, and he counted it as nothing that he might attain Christ alone. They were Gentiles who had none of this, and they were trying to attain Jewish legalism that they might add it to Christ. And you can hear it, can't you? Are you joking? Stop. I love Paul. He shifts yet again, and he gets really personal with his friends, the Galatians. Verse 13, Surely remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even as Christ himself. Paul recalls his positive experiences when he was there with them and he initially visited them on his first missionary journey. He remembers coming to them with some sort of illness. We don't know what it is, but he was ill. There was something wrong with Paul. And it seems like it was something really gross, right? Because why else would you turn somebody away? Why would you reject somebody? But Paul says, you had, you could have rejected me because of how I appeared, how I came to you. Something was going on in my body, and it was not good. Some have suggested it was malaria or some problem with his eyes. Maybe it was the, the thorn in the flesh that we've, we've heard about. Or we can't be sure, but whatever it was, it made Paul a nasty sight. In verse 14, he calls his illness a trial to them. He also says they did not despise him, which means they counted him as nothing. And they didn't loathe him, which literally means to spit. They didn't spit on him because of his appearance and how he was presented. Let's remember this was 2,000 years ago. The medical world was very primitive. 
It's safe to assume that when Paul came to these churches for the first time, it was not a very attractive sight. Probably disfigured. He probably, probably stunk pretty bad. Something was oozing, right? Grossness. It was very unpleasant, and that was Paul's condition, and yet the church in Galatia wrapped him up in their arms, and they loved him. Here Paul hits them in the fields, right? Verse 15, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it was possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. Are you kidding me? Are you joking? For the love of Pete, this is where we are? Verse 16 is such a timely verse, isn't it? It says, have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? It explains why so many Christians, especially pastors, are often hated and maligned by others. Oftentimes, others within their church, by people that proclaim to be believers. You see, all of us as Christians have two options. We can be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and proclaim his word. Or we can avoid the truth and keep quiet or just tell people what they want to hear. You guys know that. Do the latter and you will often be well received. Do the former and you will be resented. Do the latter and you provide little or damaging assistance. Do the former And you will glorify God and provide the most useful and most loving information a person needs to hear, a person needs to receive. This morning, the question is, so what? What does this have to do with anything? What does that have to do with me? The problems here that are present in the church in Galatia are the problems that are still present in the church today. They haven't gone away. Those problems from 2,000 years ago still are problems. We we too want to trust in the law, the rules. We, we, We don't want grace. We want systems. And we want checklists. We too want to believe that which tickles our ears. We too can be easily led astray by false teachers of the world and we want to embrace everything and everyone. And we want to excuse behaviors that are clearly not the way laid out for us in His Word. Ones that are clearly antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. It is as if Paul is looking directly at his church at the church today, at the church of Jesus, maybe even the church here in Bowen, and saying, are you kidding me? For the love of Pete, folks. Listen to verse 19. Oh dear, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your 
lives? There is the answer. Paul states it plainly. The answer to the problems of the church in Galatia, the answer to the problems in the church today, is that we must grow up. We must grow up. We must continue to grow up until Christ is fully developed in our lives. We have to go from being an infant. Wow. We have to go from being an infant to a fully developed, grown person. That's the key. That's the answer. You know what? Elijah is cute at four, running around, doing crazy things, jumping off of steps, doing all the crazy things that he does. He is super cute when he does that at three, and he does it at four. And he does, but when he does it at 36, it's not so cute anymore. It's like, why are you being a moron, Right? Church, we've got to grow up. We've got to become fully functioning, developed adults in our faith. We have to read our Bibles. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time communing with Jesus. And we need to spend time doing for the least of these what we know we need to do. We need to spend time daily in worship to the King. That is how you grow up. That is how we can be a church that makes a difference.